Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to the Chronicles of Nannia, a nanny resource podcast made for nannies by me, a nanny. I am your host, Martha Tyler. And this week, we are going to be talking about dyspraxia. And to do that, I have brought on Rob Fox, the Cambridge Manny. Hello, Rob. Hi, Martha. Hope you're well. Thank you for having me on again today. Yeah, it's so wonderful to have you back. Um, Before we get started talking about dyspraxia, uh, let's hear your nanny journey. I've been in early education for the past 12 years uh, in a variety of different positions. I've been a ECE, I've uh, working in daycare programs and working within school settings, both in the state and independent sectors. I've also been a regulatory inspector for um, Ofsted here in the UK, um, looking at quality of childcare provision. I then I've I set up my own consultancy brand. Pandemic hit. Got approached by a family that I know uh, who are doctors, and I've been a full time manny since September yeah. of this year. So that's a brief, I guess that's a brief uh, insight to my life. If you want to follow my journey over at the Cambridge Manny, uh, the underscore Cambridge underscore Manny on Instagram, please do go and check it out. It's more visual activities and I look forward to hearing and seeing some of your engagement with the posts that I post. Yes, yes. Rob was just on an episode about organic learning where we kind of talked a little bit more at length about uh, his nanny journey. So if you are like, wait, what? I want to know more. Go listen to Organic Learning (laughs) because it's all there. Um, And it's just a really, really fabulous episode. So go listen to that if you haven't already. Wonderful. Well, I'm so glad to have you back on the show um, to talk about dyspraxia. so I know that that we can get bogged down in kind of like rigid definitions, but just for listeners who maybe have never heard the term before, what's kind of just an overview of what dyspraxia is? For people who have trouble with um, 
fine and gross motor skills, uh, challenges. Uh, it can be processing of information. It can be a number of different physical aspects. It can be speech delay. It can be um, it can be tremors. It can be there, there's many different layers of dyspraxia. Um, and today I really want to reflect upon my own layers of dyspraxia that I, I've experienced and troubled and how I've overcome them to be the best version of myself. And look at my, evidently, dyspraxia is my ability and doesn't disable my capabilities. You know, often back in the day, it would have been described as clumsy child syndrome, which sounds so un-PC. To these days, um, but for me, it's more sense of body awareness, lack of spatial awareness at times, being subconscious to the fact that I I have poor posture or the way I walk, I might be slumped over sometimes, and actually being aware of how I present myself. Yeah. I talk about a tremor. I have a tremor down the left side of me. So if I'm holding a cup of coffee, nine times out of 10, it will spill right down me. Hmm. I remember doing lunch duty one day and I was helping the children to serve their water and I ended up spilling water all down me. And a child said to me, Mr. Fox, did you invent the word clumsy? And I, I laughed. <laughs> I thought, what a good way to kind of articulate. And I said, of course. <laughs> I I just froze on that moment. I was like, I, I don't take this personally. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to use this as my greatest skill and actually go, you know what? Yes, I'm a little bit clumsy. And that's what makes me me. Often as educators, we're often as educators and caregivers we're about giving back to other people continuously all the time and actually we never look at what our strengths are and play to our strengths and be supportive of our challenges because we all have challenges i guess i guess my biggest advice and you know i'm going to go on further in this episode but an initial starter really be open be honest if you have a learning challenge don't shy away from it because actually that's what makes you you that's what makes you you I talk about owning your own story and owning your own worth and it's you know we're all at different stages but actually recognizing you know if you have a challenge that can't be seen like this dyspraxia element you know some people would think oh he's just clumsy he's tripped over his own feet again but actually I've learned to cope with it and actually being supportive with my employer having that conversation saying this is what my challenge is these are my coping strategies moving forward this is how I support myself and this is how I can be more empathetic to the changing needs of the child right because I've experienced the struggle myself yeah. Do you do you find that you um, do need to set some extra boundaries around like your own duties or anything like that? Or is it um, more like just here's here's who I am and this is how I do things? 
I guess I, I guess a lot of forward. <laughs> it's funny you say this because I'm, I'm, you know, we learn every day as nannies, and we're we're adaptable to change. Um, but oh, yes. being <laughs> be, being forward thinking and continuously, you know, putting in place plans. So, for example, if we're to go out for a day, having things packed the night before, so when I arrive in the place, it's not so much of a rush and feel that I'm rushing the children so I, I organize things in the evening to have them there they also understand that in the evening having given as a dyspraxic individual having given an extra I know we all work hard but as a dyspraxic person you have to give that extra 10% all the time mm. um, to kind of you know put in strategies in place and it's hard to explain but you you do things at your own pace and at right. your own time and you know especially you know if you're um you know if you're um I'm just trying to think of an example here if you're trying to get you know get the children into a routine I guess slowing the routine down can be a, of benefit to everyone for everyone and yeah. make it truly inclusive by actually having a routine that is adaptable to your changing needs as well as the children that are in your care. Yes, yes. And I, I think that we see that so often when we talk about um, changing things so they are more accessible continues to make it more accessible for everyone. And I think sometimes people get in this really um, selfish space of like, well, I don't need that, so why would we do it? And it's like, well, it's really, really good for children to slow down. Like the fast pace, the days that we have like, you know, in the before times where we were going to a lot of different activities and stuff, I think everyone suffered for it when when the day was packed. Um, and so I think by being more accessible and inclusive, it's helping everyone and people sometimes forget that. <laughs> I absolutely agree there, 100 and. 10% and you know I, I was just thinking back on my own childhood really I was a I was late to develop I didn't talk till I was nearly four years old and my mum says I haven't shut up since <laughs> <laughs> or you know riding a bike it took me a long time I was you know I was 12 when I learned to ride a bike and when my peers were you know a lot younger and you know I would often feel intimidated because I would have those training wheels on the back of my bike. But it's the recognition of time and process and, you know, giving myself time and energy to really nurture that process. That's why I'm so strong on process, because it took me a long time to gain those sort of skills to do things for myself independently. And, yeah. you know, bringing that back to the charge, you know, I empathize with um, children with speech problems or perhaps children who are slow to speak and difficulty to understand. Like, 
simplifying concepts, simplifying my language whilst I'm around children, talking them through, you know, the process of everything. We, we as nannies often can be, and I, I know I, I've been guilty of this in the past, is that I'm going to share a nanny truth here. Often, often, you know, you think, come on, we need to go and do this. And actually, by not explaining, you know, it's, it's made a situation 10 times worse. But, you know, explaining and simplifying concepts, you know, you know, I've, you know, they may be frustrated or impatient and actually taking it back to their level, taking it back to their own understanding. You know, children with dyspraxia, I guess dyspraxia often gets, and in my own journey, it's been, um, it's been miscued for, ADHD it's been it's been labeled very differently I was I was told that I had dyspraxia when I was 24 and at university I'd gone through the whole schooling system of you know has he got ADHD is he autistic is he on the spectrum somewhere and yes I am on the spectrum I know I'm on the spectrum but I guess my key message in what I'm about to say is like I had a choice of how I accepted this. Right. I was in my I was in my uh, first year of studies at Kingston University, and I was assessed by an educational psychologist to really find out what what methods could be put in place to support me as a learner. You know, I, mm-hmm. grammar. I do struggle with grammar um, from a writing perspective, um, and I'm very open and honest about that. Children in the classroom, you know, um, a sign that you may see with children in the classroom is, you know, they may not be able to hold a pencil for long periods of time or they may hold it in, you know, a slight in a certain pencil grip that may be below their particular age. Right. Um, Getting back to me being at university, I, you know, through being open and honest with my tutors, I was able to get an, a laptop. I was able to get gr- grammar software that helped me write assignments and, you know, able to get word um, dictation software to help me dictate what I was trying to say and put it down on paper. I, For me, one of my challenges is I write 12 words per minute mm-hmm. and actually speeding up the process as an academic when you're writing I I found it really challenging because I would have to like constantly be researching and looking at different papers and cross-referencing but by having this software in place I was able to simplify the concepts for me so I guess what my message here is put in the necessary strategies that you have to do to recognize this is here to support me as an educator. This is here to support me as a caregiver. Anything to make my life easier is a blessing. You know, it, it shouldn't be seen as something that is of a negative connotation moving forward. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking back to my struggles as a, you know, as a child, really, um, whilst I was at university and looking at child development in greater detail, 
I kind of recognised my own struggle through school, really. Yeah. Um, and it got me thinking about how many children enter a battlefield in the classroom each day, mm-hmm. facing situations where they are misunderstood and aren't listened to. Often I would be kept in at break time for not maintaining attention or I remember my mum being called in one day whilst I, when I was at nursery school and she said we couldn't have story time today because Robert was being disruptive mm-hmm. something I would never say to my students but right. my individual my individual needs weren't taken into account and I, I reflect that now as a progressive reflective educator mm-hmm. often as a dyspraxic I can appear to be have a puzzled look upon my face, often staring into space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I see those children who are struggling to process because, you know, conformist element of, you know, do you understand? You know, and they want a sudden answer. Right. We. <laughs> And people expect you to grasp instruction straight away. And really sometimes the recognition of children's individual learning styles and the individual learning styles of even as an adult, the style you, you, you are. We mentioned in the episode of Organic Learning about recognizing your learning style and your learning potentials that come with that. But being dyspraxic, you can hide behind that. Right. Yeah. My unique challenge of dyspraxia, I process at my own speed information that others may grasp quicker. People may see me as a slow to learn person. I flip this comment and say it's best to give me three clear instructions than five mixed messages. Mm. Often my head is a jigsaw multiple pieces trying to slot together and sometimes it fits and sometimes it doesn't yeah yeah and I do think you have a I'm empathetic upon a daily basis and recognize struggle easily each challenge each day is a challenge to hide behind something that is not obvious to the human eye you know, like I said, uh, you know, trying to use these skills, trying to, <laughs> another thing happened to me the other day whilst filling up, it always seems to be with water, whilst I was trying to set up a water play activity, I, I, I threw some water all over the floor and I almost slipped over. And my boy, um, my nanny child said to me, he said, uh, Rob, is that your jelly bones again? <laughs> so I trip over my feet my own laces and turn this into a skip or a run to hide from what's happening yeah my journey has evolved and, and educated to be a, a gift I hold tight and impact daily being dyspraxic and proud like this is my challenge but I don't see this as the thing that helps me it's helped guide my pedagogy help me to speak to them and listen to them intrinsically ask where and what they are struggling with 
with compassion and understanding. Like I said to you before, I was that child who was misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Now, as an adult, I use this to my disadvantage to hold on to my multiple intelligence, to help influence my thinking and understanding and push through an understanding that actually your own learning style should evolve to the best version of yourself. Yeah, yeah. And what, what a gift to the children that you take care of. Um, to see an adult <laughs> make a mistake and then not crumble. I, I just, I feel like so many adults, you know, like if we spill or we, <laughs> whatever, you know, a lot of people get really defensive about it. And kids, like you said earlier, <laughs> will, you know, point out things because they're making observations and they don't have all of the, um, social like baggage that we do around it. Um, (laughs) I I love the quote that's like, if you ever want to be humbled, ask a child to draw a picture of you. Um, And so, yeah, I just think it's so lovely to to have the, the opportunity and good news, we all have this opportunity of like, if you spill, children spill all the time. We're nannies, we know this. And to be able to be like, oops, let's clean it up. You know, things like that are just such a gift for children. I I don't think we give recognition to. I I remember the other day, like chatting to my nanny children and saying, you know, it's okay to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Like, it's okay to make a mistake. We, we are not perfect. We are not, you know, we are not robots. We're not programmed. And actually explaining, you know, often at times I will explain to boy four and will say, Rob has to do things at his own pace. Mm-hmm. And imagine, <laughs> imagine if we could all live with that own realistic element of that, you know, living life at our own paces and not feeling physically and mentally drained as past i'm i'm fortunate i have very uh very supportive um work bosses who they, they even said to me do you do you really have this because you seem to hide it well and i'm like i have those strategies to help and guide me forward but actually giving myself i guess stepping out of the shadows of anxiety for me was taking on board my own challenges as my greatest gift to be able to offer. Alexander Denhasia says, when a flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. And I guess fixing the environment for the child, being empathetic to their changing needs, but also enabling them to be the best versions of themselves is through promoting risk and challenge. And we do that in our day-to-day actions as nannies and caregivers. We, and we promote that in our questioning. We give them choice. We give them opportunity to be who they are. But 
almost as adults, do we allow time to really, if you've got a co-colleague or a parent that you're working with who is neurodiverse or dyspraxic, do, are we a little, do we not, are we sympathetic to the changing needs of adults than we are children? Maybe this is something that we need to work on as a workforce to really empathize that we are in solidarity with those children each day. With the COVID situation, we've, you know, we, we've got changes happening by the day, but actually we don't empathize with disabilities that aren't there. We're not, we, you know, we are too scared to question. We don't ask questions a lot more. We often don't think <laughs> there's that saying isn't there think before you act mm -hmm. and actually ask taking that time back and thinking is there something I can be doing differently do they understand me if you see I remember seeing children in the classroom and thinking have they really grasped the concept have they really grasped what I'm saying and I've had the same with colleagues have they understood the way I've explained something and having to go over and say, are you sure you've understand? Do you want me to take it one step back to look at what I'm trying to bring, bring across? Mm -hmm. But, you know, I guess we as educators, I look at the words of Loris Malaguzzi and teachers must leave behind an isolated silent mode of working, which leaves no traces. Instead, they must discover ways to communicate and document the children's evolving experience at school or at home. They prepare a steady flow of quality information targeted to parents, but appreciated by children and teachers. We are those educators. We need to be prepared to resign or be fired for what we believe in. Mm. And that's to quote Howard Gardner. We are not we as educators need to recognize that often we own who we are. We own who, us, who, who we are as educators, as caregivers. We give 100% each day. But I, I guess for me, with self-care and element, I have to spend time in nature at weekends. As a, as a neurodiverse educator, it helps me to recharge my batteries for the forthcoming week. I have to allow time to sit and really process things. I can't have too many projects on the go at one time, even though I try and do too much. <laughs> Don't I we think all? <laughs> about the journey. Yes. I, but as I think, thinking about the journey and where it's come from, you know, it comes from a place deep. It, it comes from a strive to give, give children the best opportunities. Yes. And something that I, I say on this show all the time is that a, a gift of, of nannying over other methods of childcare are that we have the time. We have the time to meet the child where they are. We are literally, our job is to be present with the child. And so that means meeting them where they are. That means slowing down as necessary. That means 
taking the time to make sure that you are giving clear and simple instructions and then checking in. Did they understand? Um, that means, you know, that it can take 30 minutes to get dressed in the morning because you want to be silly and like they want to put their, you know, pants on their head or whatever. And so I just, I think that this is such a, a lovely way you know, we are talking about dyspraxia for sure, but we are also talking about really any, any child um, can, can benefit from that slowing down and any caregiver I think can benefit from, from really looking at those systems that you have in place that you kind of are just like, well, we have to do it this way. Why? Why do we have to do it that way? Is it actually serving you and the child the best? I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And once you, you know, you understand the changing needs of the child or, you know, pre, I often hear about caregivers who are quite open and talk about, you know, diagnosis in front of a child and many a time as growing up I would hear whispers of what do you think he's got what do you think he's got what what you know is is, is this child autistic is he Asperger's has he got this has he got that be very sensitive to your wording because even as a, a, an adult to this day I have that trauma of the past of yeah. you know being labeled and to be honest with you labels belong on designer clothes they don't belong on the back of the unique child Right. Like my individual capabilities, if they were nurtured from an early age, where would I be now? But there's no point in me looking at where I could have been. It's about what I can do to help this next generation of learners evolve and be the best versions of themselves. Yeah. I remember one day I was invited to go to. I remember one day I was invited to go to the Special Olympics and I was bullied and people would tease me about going to the Special Olympics. And, you know, because of my challenge and my, you know, my problems with uh, gross motor skills, I would be in the, you know, bottom set for physical education. And so one day I was asked to go and represent the school, but I was excited. Like I genuinely hadn't represented my school at anything. And the teasing in the peer pressure that I received as a young child, uh, as a young, you know, teen, I, I still feel today I was bullied through school, through stand, through just being me. Like I genuinely stood out like a sore thumb. And it's about education. It's about educating each other on the challenges that people with hidden challenges face. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it breaks my heart to hear you say that, although I, I know that that happens and, you know, we've all had experiences with bullying to different degrees and that, that sounds incredibly hard. And I do think that it is the onus is on caregivers to, the message should never be that the child is the problem. 
And that, that is such an easy takeaway message for children is that they are the problem. The reason I'm so passionate about educating others about hidden learning challenges is as an adult with a hidden learning challenge, I've, I've had to explain myself continuously within this field of early education. Um, in past jobs, I would have to explain why I do things a particular way. Mm. And really kind of having to overemphasize the fact that, you know, if I was doing some filing, I may not be able to line it up straight. And actually, I wasn't doing this on purpose. This is something I struggle with. Right. I've got into situations before with, uh, you know, lack of understanding of time, doing things that my, you know, people saying to me, Rob, can you do that a bit faster? Can you do that faster? Can you do that faster? And I've often in the past not had that confidence to be able to say, this is my challenge. It's only recently I've owned my challenge as, you know, my capabilities. And actually, it's almost as educating children about your challenges, but also educating other professionals so that they can be empathetic and understanding. And if you meet an edu uh, you know, if you meet another nanny that may have a hidden learning challenge, I, you know, it's really kind of, we don't talk about these things. It's almost a taboo within our industry. But, you know, if you have an additional challenge, such as dyspraxia or dyslexia, or, you know, you don't talk about them, you, you know, you, but actually through talking about them can help your mental health and your only anxieties that can free your anxieties up to realize that actually you aren't alone in these challenges. There are other people out there. I always thought that I was the only one. Like I genuinely thought that I was the only one who had this challenge with processing. And it was a couple of summers ago where I connected with the dyspraxia foundation. Um, and if people want to have a look at their website and, Sources. yeah i'll link it i'll link it down in the show notes there are lots of free resources about understanding exactly what dyspraxia is the different layers of dyspraxia and actually looking at my level of dyspraxia it actually kind of inspired me to go this is me this you know i almost have that song playing in my head this is me mm -hmm. over and over and over again because it's really the journey of struggle, the overcomplication of having to over-explain yourself continuously has made me become my own boss. Right. And for now, being a nanny, I have my own power to be who I am. The best version of myself has come out through being a nanny, through doing things at my own pace, through recognising and being open to change and keeping you know ideas fresh and over not over complicating things as well right you know see seeing the day for what it's worth and embracing it in the present taking like I said to you gradual steps in the day not making my day too complicated I, I preach that but I, I, I often don't take my own ad, uh, advice, but <laughs> yep. we, we as nannies, you know, we overcomplicate things often. We need to be seen as 
you know, this comparative nature of what people are doing down the road and everything. I think we've talked about this before. And actually recognising that your best is good enough. Your best is good enough. And what makes you you is your greatest power. And actually, I talk about becoming superheroes for young children. I've embraced my superpower to and to be that superhero that in, promotes integrity, respect, practice from the heart really comes from a it comes from a traumatic time but I've turned that traumatic time into my best ability I could have embraced fear or I could have embraced hope I chose hope over fear I embraced hope in all my actions as a neurodiverse educator as someone who thinks differently to embrace that as my greatest gift to give back to the changing needs from of the child and for them to teach me daily of what truly matters. It's recognising the unique child in practice that really embeds my own personal pedagogy but should embed practice within our sector. Too often conformity takes over, expectation takes over, but be realistic in the expectations of guiding the child to be the best version of themselves. Yeah. And, and I, I think that if a child is ever, what you were saying about like the environment, changing the environment versus changing the child, I think is a really, really important point is that it is so easy for a child who is different in any way, which is literally every child. Every child is different in some way. Um, it is so easy for a child to see those differences as something being wrong with them. And if you can help make that child shame-proof by talking about your own differences with pride um, and telling them that the problem, the message should never be that the child is the problem. The message should be that the environment is the problem or the way your schedule is set up is the problem or whatever. If there is a struggle, the child's takeaway is so easily, I am the problem. And we as caregivers must fight against that at every turn because what a sad takeaway and what a missed opportunity for your child to grow and um and and bloom and flourish and and all these things that you're saying about like really seeing the benefits of of moving differently through the world what a what a gift and also embracing them, like I said in a previous point, embracing them who, for who they are. Yes. And the time and the pressure of conformity needs to be out of the window. It needs to be thrown away. You know, this pandemic, for example, I hate always talking about the pandemic, but really recognising what are their strengths by having them at home, homeschooling, and looking at what their capabilities are. I often talk with parents who have children on the autistic spectrum and the time and energy that they have spent with their children and the time they've been able to nurture creative opportunities through the visual arts, through photography, through, you know, finding their own creative juices that really inspire their own learning 
And I guess for us as nannies, really kind of looking at what our children are interested in and embracing the, you know, the journey for who they want to be. Don't be bogged down by behavior. I, I guess another thing is behavior traits and boredom, you know, mm-hmm. jazz it up a bit. Find that opportunity to go outside and do something a bit different. Don't be stuck to the worksheet or whatever that's been put in front of them. I know with a lot of homeschool projects, worksheets are the first thing that, you know, for for me as a dyspraxic learner, I would struggle to actually sit down and actually do that. Whereas actually by embracing my kinesthetic learning inside of me, learning through doing, going outside into nature, picking up flowers, counting pebbles or stones or sticks, I would be able to grasp that concept more. And most importantly, learning is active when you're having fun. Mm -hmm. Learning is active when you're having fun and actually embracing those opportunities that nature brings to fruition. Yeah, yeah. And I also, I've been thinking about this idea of like a diagnosis, right? Because my understanding of dyspraxia is that it often isn't diagnosed um, in children. And I think that they're, you know, or it's missed or it's misdiagnosed or, you know, lots of of different things like your story that you were sharing. Um, But I, and I think that there's this push and pull of labeling is disabling when we let it be, but I know lots of friends who have as adults gotten a diagnosis of autism or ADHD or, or something like that, that helps everything kind of fit into place. They're like, oh, now, now that I understand this about myself, I, I can move through the world better. So I, I just, I guess I would love your thoughts on the, the ways that we can provide the support that come with a diagnosis without that like dark shadow side of the diagnosis, meaning that we put a kid into this box that it feels like they can't escape from. Do you have thoughts on balancing that? It's, it's a very, very tricky situation. Having, having gone through that myself and feeling almost boxed by the system for my whole life really right for trying trying to break out of that box and actually I guess trying to break out of that box and trying to establish your own pathway when you are almost you know you have a choice you have a choice to embrace it you have a choice to ignore it and actually I cried when I got my diagnosis because I actually realized that this, this was the, you know, this was the opportunity to have something written down on paper. Mm-hmm. But I guess for me, it was really, this shall not define who I am. This is something that can be a supportive tool to support my progress moving forward and at the time obviously I was at university I was studying I was thinking about various projects moving forward and 
it's really kind of helped me. But would I say, you know, would it be the first thing I talked about when I'm talking to the future employees or whatever? I casually mention it because I want them to be aware of it, but I've got other powers. I've got other strengths. I'm, you know, I've been working with children for 15 and a half years, almost 16 years. And really my experiences stem from the day-to-day practice, the day-to-day interactions I have with children. I never really used, I never used my dyspraxia as something that's, empowering to kind of think any different to the way you know and thank you Martha for inviting me on this to kind of say actually you can either be defined by it or you can you can be defined by a label or you can allow the label to beat you Mm -hmm. and for me I've 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 kind of just evolved with it to really kind of think that actually this this doesn't define who I am. This is what has given me an opportunity to understand why I've acted in a particular way. Right. You know, or gives me, I guess another aspect, I'm always looking at different sides of it. It gives me the opportunity to understand why I do things particularly. It allows me to think, actually, I've got to be a little bit more organised. I've got to I've got to put strategies in place. I've got to prepare my bag the night before I go to work because if I wake up in the morning and I'm rushing around, then my day I feel like I'm at a disadvantage in the day. Um, but like I said to you, it's it's pre-thinking and overthinking and trying to get that balance mm-hmm. per se. I guess knowing knowing your worth and ambition as an early educator is it will be something that never will hold me back because I have I have grace in the movement that actually this is what I do this is my job this is my passion and if anything it's given me more passion to define uh, defy the odds defy you know I was told when I was um five years old I would be educated in um a school for children with special educational needs and actually I've been defeating the odds since day one but really actually that's only part of the story the story is the evolve evolving of what's made me me as an educator those children teach me every day to be the best version of myself and I think it's because they don't live with pre-deceived judgment of ideas they don't they don't judge you for who you are and actually sorry I'm getting a bit emotional yeah it's they they don't judge like adults judge there is a lot of judgment out there in society where we feel we have to be we have to we feel we have to be someone that we're not actually owning for me the last 12 months has really been coming to terms with this is the way I think this is the way I act this is who I am and this is what makes me proud of who I am and actually taking a step back and realizing that I'm not in a race to compete I'm not in a race to go out 
and do things. I'm in a race for myself to be the best version of me, to recognize that time is of the essence. Time is there to slow down and look at my, look at my strengths and guide them forwards as part of my journey as an early educator. And like I said, children teach you each day, laughing humor, embracing joy in the day that goes forward. I, I, I'm, like I said in previous examples, I embrace the joy in my day. I treat my, what could be titled a disability as my own ability. To, to re recognize that, you know, time is so precious and we have, we're gifted as educators to nurture the time in the process and not what the end product is. And children are the process of learning. Children are the development of ideas. And once you become attuned to children's changing needs and adults changing needs, I think we have a more empathetical understanding of inclusivity that is from the heart of practice. That differentiation isn't tokenistic. You know, differentiating for additional needs, looking at what is their capabilities in providing activities that are relevant for them, not things that are going to be be uh, be too challenging or allow challenge to happen at their own pace. Right, and that's what I live with as an educa adult educator to embed within my skill set. Yeah. And, and like we've been saying kind of, you know, throughout this, this whole podcast, I, I think that there is this temptation to look at something like dyspraxia. And, you know, I, I love that you said that you mention it in passing because that, that is how it should be treated is that it is something it's present. But when we add on all of this all of our own fears about what being different means, that's when we get into trouble, right? And so I think that that's a lovely way to approach letting families know um, without like overblowing what that means or like hyper-focusing on that. And that's what, by hyper-focusing, that would be what letting it define you would look like, right? And it's like, no, it is part, it's part of who you are, but there's so many other parts and, and what a gift of, of part of who you are, because it has increased your empathy. It has, um, you are, are able to see and meet children where they are because of your life of being told that you're, you know, you're different and, and something's wrong. And it's like, no, but I think, I think that it highlights how often we give those messages to, ch to children without intending to. And so as you are listening, I just encourage you to really think about, yeah, those, those whispers of like, ooh, I wonder if, if this person has, you know, something like, well, I wonder what's wrong with this person. It's like children hear that and pick up on that. And it's really dangerous and and not good pedagogy and um and Martha, so getting, getting back to that point yeah you know i i you know i talked about hope and fear and i i reflect the words of 
Holly, Elisa Bruno, a trauma expert in the US who I've been fortunate to do a keynote with at the Florida NAEYC last summer. And our, our topic of our se um, seminar was what's right with you? And actually embracing traumatic experiences from the past has helped shape my pedagogy today and, and practice. What's right with you? List that as maybe the question for this forthcoming right week and embrace that as a, a tool for the reflect uh, to be reflective in your practice. What is right with you? Use your trauma to impact your journey moving forward. Being dyspraxic for me has been a traumatic experience, but now recognizing that what's right with me is my greatest skill set to move forward. Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, do you have any um, any knowledge or, or advice for a nanny who is working with a child who is dyspraxic? I know we've talked about, you know, helping the child feel seen and, and not shaming the child, but is there, is there anything that a nanny who's listening, whether or not the child has been diagnosed, if your child struggles with fine and gross motor skills, what are some ways that a nanny can be kinder and more empathetic to that? I guess effective, uh, kind of effective scaffolding, almost being silly in the moment. Often as nannies, we've, we forget about being silly and acting <laughs> on things, I, you know, and, you know, when throwing and catching, you know, you have, you do it, you turn to it, you, you, you act in the moment, but remember that they might not understand. So kind of take it down a level, really kind of, if they don't understand, Allow time for them to answer. Allow them time to answer your questions. And I know we as educators, as nannies, we we often don't give time. You know, we're thinking about, you know, getting them to the next stage. So we're constantly bombarding them with questions. Give that child time to answer. Even if they're not answering, I guess, answering through certain cues, innate cues, acknowledging their body language reading their body language are, are you allowing them the time to come with the right answer or are you speeding them up that that would be my num probably my number one advice kind of just recognize the time timing aspect with your questions and if they look puzzled don't speed it up don't speed it. Allow, allow them time for think, to think moving forward. Let, and allow them time to be sustained in what they're saying and, and their understanding. Because it's with a dyspraxic individual, it comes with time in grasping the particular question, for example. Um, number two would probably be big emotions, big feelings, self-regulation, understanding the process of self-regulation. Having worked with, you know, working with young children as well, we are obviously aware of children's emotional needs, um, but working with a dyspraxic child, it can be often quite hard 
to articulate their you know articulate language and their big emotions that they have inside um you know looking at books like the color monster for example looking at my many colored days dr zeus getting them talking about what color are they feeling what kind of aspects and i i say this with any child but if you're working with multiple children as well it's a great tool to use to develop those skills for self-regulation by talking through what colors are they feeling don't feel that you have to differentiate for that one child in particular make it an inclusive environment where everyone can be involved that's i guess for me the development of effective an effective environment that's enabling of true inclusion if you're encompassing the skill sets of others if you're putting it on the floor but taking it back a level and really kind of playing playing in the moment scaffolding and looking at the various opportunities that you can involve with that child in the present. Yes. I think that's all wonderful advice. Uh, no matter the child you are, you are working with, but, but especially if you are working with a child um, who is dyspraxic, has dyspraxia is um, or anything that is slowing them down, meeting the child where they are is uh, it, it's simple and it doesn't have to be as hard as I think sometimes we make it. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And, you know, like I said, what's the rush? What, right. what, 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 what are we rushing for? What, what is conformity? You know, the conformist years we, you know, like, like I've talked about in previous podcasts I've spoken about, what is the rush to drive ch children towards school readiness and, Maybe this is another episode we can drop in, Martha, uh, about readiness for school or readiness for pre-K or readiness for kindergarten. What is this term readiness? Like as adults, we are, we need to be ready for life, ready for life experiences. And in, for me, it's been embracing my challenges along the way to make the best version of myself to be supportive and actually being able to share my story so openly and honestly with you all today has been a breath of fresh air. So Martha, I want to thank you for allowing me this opportunity to speak from the heart about my own challenges and how I've implemented strategies to move forward in teaching and caring for young children. Wonderful. It has been so wonderful to talk to you about this. And, and I'm grateful that you were willing to come on the show and talk about this. Um, and uh, yes, so there will be down in the show notes um, uh, is a link to uh, Rob's Instagram, the Cambridge Manny, um, as well as uh, the dyspraxia website that uh, he mentioned earlier. Um, and is there anything else, Rob, that you would like to tell listeners about where they can uh, learn more about you and, and things like that? Yeah, like I said earlier, um, feel free to uh, drop me a DM if you have any questions in regards to dyspraxia. Um, also, I run... Um, a page on Facebook called Active Childhood UK, a community of early childhood educators 
um, approaching 10,000 educators globally. And it's a really good, it's a, pro, it's a real connection of parents, um, professors, people who are starting off their journey in early childhood. And actually, we as nannies, we need to stand together and actually come together on platforms like this. So I, I value input, I value collaboration, and I welcome you all to, I welcome you all to become a part of this growing community um, to, to uh, air and share this practice that makes possible. And like I said in the previous post, sharing is caring. And as adults, maybe we need to practice what we preach a little bit more. Agreed. Completely agreed. So, Martha, thank you very much for having me on here today. And I thought, you know, you always talk about, you know, a funny story that's happened to you. Um, and you ask your, um, you ask your um, people that you are interviewing about a funny story. But... I never seem to hear one from you. So could you share a funny story? <laughs> sure. Yes. I will. I will end this episode um, with a cute, funny story. Um, so yeah, I have, <laughs> uh, we have been playing doctor a lot um, recently, I think because of, you know, just in the zeitgeist, um, doctors are, are really important right now. <laughs> um, and, and kids are picking up on that. So we have been playing doctor quite a bit. Um, and I, uh, we did have a pretty serious diagnosis the other day, um, in, in, in play during play of, of a pizza allergy. Uh, one of the stuffed animals got diagnosed with a pizza allergy. And it was so funny because they committed so hard, you know, this is their world, they, their worldview. And they, uh, we had pizza for lunch, like a different day. And they like got that stuffed animal, <laughs> took it to a different room because I personally have allergies. And so they know that like, I can't be around tree nuts and that I have to leave the room if they come out. And so, <laughs> and so they like put this stuffed animal in a different room and shut the door and like tucked them in and everything. It was adorable. Um, so yeah, Aww. we're, we're playing through, uh, through allergies and and through doctor's checkups and things it was it was really adorable that sounds amazing and it's <laughs> it, it's fun it's funny you uh, you say that it's like you know seen but not heard like children are like i said in a previous point children are so aware of what's happening around them and actually they pick up on so much they and really we can. often don't give them credit for that Let's give children back the credit that they deserve by taking in those moments. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Well, thank you, Rob, uh, for coming on today. It was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you very much, Martha. Always a pleasure. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. I love providing Chronicles of Nania to you at no cost. So if you love this podcast, please consider donating by clicking the support the show link in the show notes. I also totally understand if a donation isn't the way you can show your support right now. Another excellent way to support the podcast is to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. 
Those ratings help other nannies and caregivers around the world find Chronicles of Nannia. Also, if you love the show, tell your friends. Word of mouth is so helpful to get the word out about the podcast. And truly, thank you for listening. It really means the world to me. The Chronicles of Nannia is produced and hosted by Martha Tyler. Artwork by Noni Blastodon. Theme music by Brad Kemp. Find him at secondbedroomstudios.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronicles of Nannia and on Twitter at Nannia Podcast. To contact us, email chroniclesofnannia at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.